Welcome into episode 24 of the Gump Runners podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, special guest Evan Wright back on the podcast with us. Evan's quickly becoming a, a fan favorite. He's a, he's a big basketball guy, really knowledgeable of the game of basketball, and a big Alabama basketball fan as well. Um, since we last did the podcast last week, uh, Alabama just demolishes the, the Georgia Bulldogs, 115-82 to 82 this Saturday. Darius Miles throwing it down on people's heads at the end of the game. Just an all, just an absolute barrage from the field from Alabama. They were literally making almost everything they threw up there. Um, Evan will bring you in first, man. Well, what's been going on? And uh, tell me what you think about this game Saturday against Georgia. Yeah, thanks for having me back, guys. I always love coming on the show and talking hoops with you guys. Um, yeah, the Georgia game, that was a fun one, man. I, I was down at the beach, and we were actually at uh, dinner when the game come on at, at Cobalt. I don't know if y'all were eating there, but anyway, so the game was on kind of in the background. And, I mean, I was glued to it the whole time, and then I kind of I rewatched it today. Um, and, and what a fun game. We, I don't, you know, well, obviously we scored 115 points. We haven't seen that style of play out of Alabama, and I guess probably dating back to LSU. I and mean, there's been spurts of it but talk about a a, a come out game for herb jones he you know we haven't we haven't seen that from herb now for uh maybe three weeks or so and you know he has sets a career high right when we're all kind of thinking or you know saying that maybe he needs to be sitting out he comes out and plays well and i'm sure we'll discuss at some point um whether or not he should have been playing in that game or not but alabama played I mean, tell me if you've ever seen these numbers. 64% from the field, 60% from three. We shot 83% from the free throw line. I don't think I've ever seen – I don't even know if I've ever seen a basketball game with, with numbers quite like that. Georgia didn't play bad either. I mean, our defense gave up some points. but uh, We came out ready to play, knocking down threes. I guess that's probably the second most threes in a game this year. And uh, Bama still has yet to lose when scoring 80 points. I mean, that's kind of been the magic number, and it, it held true again this week. So – all in all, just a fun game, fun one to watch. Yeah, um, Lester, you know, I mean, you had, you know, I think it might have been Charlie Potter that mentioned this to Nate Oates, and I thought it was, I was listening to the post game press conference, just a crazy stat that I heard. Um, Alabama scored 115 points, and yet they didn't have one player attempt double digit shots. I mean, you had. Herb shot nine times, Primo nine, Petty nine. You know, once you get three guys shoot it nine times, but nobody even shot the ball double digits. That just that just really goes to show how how high the how the how high the uh, field goal percentages were in this game. And I, th- I thought that was just a crazy stat. Lester, tell me what you thought about the game on Saturday. Um, great game, electric. Um, like you were going to say, uh, nobody shot over ten times. Well, that's what you call efficiency. Well, you do that, and you still have, and you still scoring over 100 points, let alone 115. That is efficient. That is guys. That's everybody on. That is everybody making their shots. Um, I got a couple numbers for you here. Um, ever since the last time Alabama scored 105 points against LSU, Alabama has scored 80, 70, 61 in a loss, 78, 68, 81. And we come back and scored 115 points. Guys, I'll go ahead and say that, uh, Alabama may have been in a little shooting slump for an extended period of time. And it was great to see them come back out, bust out, score 115 points. Um, I, I kind of agree with Evan. Um, that's a good set that he brought out. I believe that this team should be averaging 80, 85 points. That's our sweet spot. If we can do that along with how good this team is defensively, how great this team is defensively, that's the recipe for success for this team. Chase, you there? Did Chase freeze up? I believe that he did. I think Chase might be frozen on us. I'll piggyback off of it. Um, you back, Chase? Yeah, sorry, man. My internet cut out. Um, did y'all hear my question or did I just cut out? I asked Lester a question about why he thought the, uh, I guess you can say the shooting slump was over or whatever. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I answered was, that one. Do you think it was a – yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, well, yeah. Re- repeat it for me because I uh, – yeah, repeat it for me. Yeah, well, well, I mean, I do you think it was a matchup on. problem or was it? No, I think this this team they finally just broke out of a slump. Um, 
a couple numbers are throughout. Alabama has scored since LSU 81, 70, 61 of that lost to Oklahoma, um, 78, 68, 81, then finally 115 again against uh, Georgia. I just think they were in a slump for a long time, um, adjusting to life without Bruner. Herb is finally back uh, playing healthy. He heard all of us talking junk. Uh, clearly, he listens to the podcast. But I just think that um, Evan had a good stat where we score 80, 85 points a game and play great defense. That is a recipe for a success for this team. Yeah, that's right. And um, let, let's talk about Herb Jones a little bit um, because I, I personally think it was a matchup nightmare for Georgia. I mean, dude, watching that game, Georgia's got a bunch of linebackers running around trying to play basketball. I mean, these guys are so rocked up. They can't even move. They're stiff as a board. And uh, and it just seems like, you know, you've got a basketball tight, you know, body frame, long and slender, whatever is usually what you want, you know, hella athletic and get up off the floor. But it just seemed like it was a bad matchup for Georgia. And like Evan said, Georgia didn't play bad. But – um. Evan, let, let's let's talk about Herb Jones. You know, we've been calling for him to sit uh, during the stretch of games. We knew that Alabama's better than the next three or four opponents that they were going to play, dating back before the South Carolina game. So, after you see him, you know, have one of his best games of the season, are you ready to? Are we going to like retract that statement, or how do you, how do you stand on Herb Jones after watching him Saturday against Georgia? Yeah, I don't. I don't. I think we all agreed back when last time I was on. I guess it was a couple of weeks ago that, that we all thought that Alabama had more to lose by playing Herb Jones than they did the game by not playing him. Um, and you know, just I broke down the game a little bit yesterday when I I went back and rewatched it. And this team is just when when Herb Jones is healthy, man, it's totally different. Um, when he's out there able to when when the offense is able to run the ball through Herb. It opens up so much all around him. The whole entire floor opens up. The shooters open up. The lanes open up. And I want to. I do want to add, and you you hinted to it. I don't want to overplay our hand a little bit. Georgia is not a not a great basketball team, but there's still a lot of things we can take away from that game. But I look back at the game, and I I tried to track Herb's every time that Herb Jones touched the ball, how many points we scored either on an assist a pass to an assist, or a bucket from Herb. And without including the free throws, I got the 40 points. That's a lot of points, man. And that just shows you that when the ball's – and we all knew this, right? When the, when the ball's going through Herb Jones' hands, it opens up so much. He's able to beat you on two dribbles. If you've got a guy guarding him at the top of the lane, when he's got pop in his step, he can beat you on two dribbles and get to the rack and score or draw a foul. Now, the way to counter that on the defensive end is to help play help defense, right? Well, when you're playing help defense against Alabama, guess who you're leaving? You're leaving either John Petty, Jaden Shackelford, Josh Primo. I mean, you name it. There's guys all over the floor who can knock it down. And that's what we're seeing with Herb, man. He can get the ball in the paint. He can either score, kick it out, knock down threes, and it just helps open opens up the offense so much. Um, to go back to your question, I guess I'm still kind of on the train of sit Herb, right? Who do we play? We, we have A&M, Vandy, Arkansas. Those are the next three games. I don't think we're worried about A&M. Are we really worried about Vandy? Maybe not. Again, I, I go back to, and I've, I've said this to you before, we don't know the whole picture, right? And we were talking earlier. Nate Oates is, I don't think he's ever told us, anybody, you know, what, what's going on with their injury. Like, I don't think we still have a confirmed idea of what's going on with Jordan Brenner. I think everybody thinks it's a meniscus, but I don't think Nate Oates has said that. Um, so, you know, my, my thing is, do we know that him playing is going to set him back? We don't really know that, but it would seem to be the case at hand. I don't see how if a guy's banged up, playing him will be good for him. Um, and so from the outside looking in, I, I think you, you need to sit him or at least limit him. Limit his minutes. Limit him in practice for sure. Continue to do the rehab and, and try to get him back to 100% and then get, get Brenner back. But that – that team is so fun to watch, man. And when the ball is going through Herb, it's a, it's a totally different team. And we, we finally saw that again on uh, Saturday against Georgia. Yeah, and that's a that's a that's a big thing is you know you watch this team on Saturday and you see what it's like with and Herb Herb said in an interview he's seventy to eighty percent. Um, so just imagine him at a hundred. I mean, everybody saw it to open up SEC play, and uh, and so to watch that game Saturday, that's the team that you need in mid-March that that's the team that you need 
for your SEC tournament and NCAA tournament. <clears throat> and uh, and so in order to get that team, and uh, plus plus Jordan Bruner, you know, I'm talking about health wise, of course. That's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about. In order to get that team, plus Bruner, and even a more healthy Herb, I still think Herb needs to sit. And Oates talked about in his post game press conference about how. You know, they kind of ramped him up in practice. They can, they ramped up his activity level in practice, and they think that helped him a little bit because he wasn't trying to knock the rust off in the game because he hadn't been practicing. He had just been playing. And um, so Oates thought that he was trying to knock some rust off during during game game action. And uh, and to me, that just seems like a lot. Uh, Lester's talking about his slender body. You can see the the huge pad he had on his ass that he played with on Saturday. Um, trying to take it, you know, put some cushion on that backside for whenever he does take charges or, you know, falls on the floor, whatever, whatever it may be. And uh, Oates kept saying, you know, as long as he doesn't take a direct hit to it, which I'm guessing that's his hip. And I'm sitting there listening like, well, in order for him not to take a direct hit to it, wouldn't it be better for him to not be playing in the game and not even risk that against opponents like Texas A&M and, and, uh, and Vanderbilt? You know, to me, it just still seems like the right thing to do in order to have the best, in order to put your best team on the floor come mid March. It still makes sense to hit to uh, to sit Herb Jones. Lester, how are you feeling on this topic? Are you, are you you still on the train to, that you would that you would sit Herb if you were if you were Nate Oates, or do you think that what what Nate Oates is doing is right? Uh, yeah, it's clearly. Clearly, like they said a while ago, it's not going to get better by sitting them. But you can be risk-averse for a little bit, to a degree. You can cut his minutes a little bit. You can ease him into practice. But he said coming back to practice is how he's been able to shake the rust off. And clearly, putting up 19 points in his last game, it's shown. Um, hearing him say he's 70 to 80% is somewhat comforting, but still – kind of raising an eyebrow to it to a degree. But like you said, he's got that big pad on. Um, might as well protect him as, as much as you can. You can put a pair of shoulder pads on him if you want to. That'll be fine with me because he, the guy's not going to see it clearly. Um, he's going to continue to play. Um, just got to hope that he avoids banging down in the post. He doesn't take any of those falls, any of that banging. Because like we said, Herb is the hardest faller we've ever seen. So he can't continue to take shots like that. So as long as he avoids that, he's ripping and running up and down the floor, then I guess let him play because we yeah. know that's what Oates going to do. Yeah, I'm going back to what Oates said about knocking rust off. Well, if he practiced, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday before the uh, before the Georgia game, if it took him three days of practice to knock the rust off, how long is it actually going to take? I mean, if you can sit this guy for, for two games, which is, you know, another ten days, and then give him – three full games. I mean, that's another, what, 10, 12 days to, quote, knock the rust off. That's plenty of time for him. And like I said last week, you know, you get Bruner back in that time frame as well. They can knock the rust off together. They can hold hands while they knock the rust off. And Juwan Gary as well, you know what I'm saying? So it just, it's still, it, even though Herb played great, and real quick, um, I think what really opened up things for Herb is he realized that, hey, you know, if I can just shoot the ball from the outside well, that takes, you know, first of all, it take it it causes the defense. It opens up it opens up the lane for me because I think a big problem was the last, you know, six or seven games, her might have been a little banged up, but I think they were also sagging on him, and they were kind of inviting the drive, inviting the slash, and uh, and so now that you know he was three for four from deep, I think when you watch that film, you know, Herb is right at fifty percent on the year from deep. And so why not shoot the ball a little bit more? Because I think I thought what that did against Georgia that, you know, it made, it made the defender come out on him. And then you know you can pump fake or whatever. And then, you know, like I was saying, two dribbles and then I'm, I'm at the bucket. And then if they want to help, then I can dish. And uh, I think you know the last, you know, few games that Herb was playing, the last several games that they were sagging on him. And so whenever he drove, they were kind of receiving receiving it. And they didn't need any help. They were just defending him with one guy, and I think that hurt the offense. So if you're going to have a drive and dish game, I think Herb has to hit shots from the outside. Because, I mean, if they're going to give it to you, first of all, if you're shooting 50%, knock it down. That's great. That's what we want. And uh, and also I think that opens up so much more. 
I agree. I agree. I think, um, like Evan mentioned before, uh, there's 10 games in between the last regular season and the NC tournament. I think Oates is just going to try to run them till then. Hopefully him and Bruner, like I said, can come back. Both of them get some games under their belt, healthy. Then, once the regular season ends, put their tails on ice and get to the NC tournament. Yeah, and uh, um, Evan – you know, let me ask you this. Okay, I mentioned last week about, you know, how detrimental would it be and how much criticism would Oates get? You know, probably none. We discussed that. But if if Herb was to go down and end his season against Texas A&M, Georgia, or Vanderbilt, that's what we discussed. How big of a setback would that be to the team if, you know, you get to the tournament, then – you get put out in the first or second round. You lose by four or five points. You know the first thing everybody's going to say, well, if we had Herb Jones, and you know, um, you know, we at, we agreed that um, that you know he'd probably get more props, you know, because you know Herb's a fighter and he's got so much grit and all that stuff. He wanted to play for his teammates, and and I get that. That's true, but um, but Evan, this isn't the same situation. But I look at it kind of like Tua in 2019. After, you know, Alabama gets beat by LSU, you're still in that hunt, right? Tua's got the ankle problem. Then he goes and plays against Mississippi State. That raised a lot of eyebrows. And Saban, you know, left it up to Tua. If Tua felt okay to play, he was going to let him play. Then we all know what happened. That was the last game that Tua ever played for Alabama. So, I mean, I think it was like 28 to nothing or whatever whenever he went down too. But And, and that didn't have anything with his existing injury. But it was a meaningless game, so to speak. I mean, I, I know all games are – they mean something. There's no no such thing as a meaningless game. But do you, do you kind of see it in that sense to where, you know, maybe if, if Tua comes out of that game earlier or doesn't play at all, Matt Jones goes in there, you beat Mississippi State, and then, you know, you've got him for the Iron Bowl, and then maybe he doesn't throw two pick sixes – and uh, you beat Auburn, then you might slide in there over Oklahoma, the number four spot. Do you, do you kind of see it like that? Do you, do you see the do see the point that I'm trying to make? Oh, absolutely. And I'm I'm going to take it a little bit of a different route. I, I don't I don't think so much of Tua as much as I maybe think of Tyrone Prothrow to a degree. Alabama's blowing out Florida. You look at the the race in the SEC right now. Alabama's got a three and a half game lead with five to play. And it's probably the easiest five-game stretch of the entire year. We did talk about it, and, and, you know, I think we both agreed that if Herb did get hurt, it would be less about why is Nate Oates playing Herb and more about, man, look at what Herb did. He, he, he went to the, to the end of the season and gave it all he had, and he just blew out his hip. And, but, you know, it can't be stressed enough. This team has virtually no shot without Herb Jones. And so, yeah, I, I see the comparisons. Yeah, and I, I think back to, to pro throw more than two. I think two, I mean, you kind of hit it. Tua's deal, you know, the hip injury really didn't have anything to do with the ankle, although some people say that the ankle slowed down his mobility and that's why he got tracked down. And um, yeah, that was obviously terrible. But pro throw to me is, is, is a better comparison, just given the fact that Alabama was literally blowing out Florida. Yeah, ball game, um, and 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 I look at it in the same degree of Alabama right now. It's blowing out the SEC, and if you you look at the teams that are in second place at eight and four, they've got a tough schedule closing it out. Alabama may, and I don't see any way possible without you take Herb Jones, you take Jaden Shackelford out of the starting lineup. I think Alabama can win one game out of these next five at least, and if they do that, there's a good chance they win the league. Yeah, and you know, and, and Missouri keeps on losing, and so it's just making. And uh, and and so, we'll see. We'll see. Herb sat down for a couple of games, but uh, but yeah, and and, and I, yeah, I remember the pro throw injury. I think we all do. Um, I think Lester. Uh, and, and I, I use Tua just because we we just talked about how much the offense runs through. He was the distributor. He was the one that got the ball, the playmakers. He was the one that had to make the right decisions. And uh, as much as a 
as much of a game changer that Tyrone Prothero was, you know, he's still a receiver. I mean, he he, he was a damn good one, and uh, the team took an obvious hit, and and you know, do you kind of agree with that analogy to where you know if Herb was to have his season ended? In the next two games, how I mean, how it'd be kind of in the same situation as a, a Tua injury against Mississippi State or a Tyrone Prothero season-ending injury um, and, a, and a blowout win versus Florida. Yeah, um, I think so. I think I think if that if that kind of thing would happen, um, I don't think that the team or us would turn to a negative situation. They turn to a situation where. We're going to rally around her. We're going to rally, rally around this guy. We're going to play this season for this guy, for this senior who's given so much to this program. But if that happens, if that happens, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to freaking explode because we've been talking about this for weeks, for weeks, for weeks on end. I don't care about the regular season. Well, I guess, I guess you got to care to play for seeding. Um, I know I said that Alabama has like a 90% chance of the SEC tournament. I don't even care about that anymore. I do not care. I want to get to the NCAA tournament and start going deep into the tournament. This regular season, you know, Bama's all but sealed it up right now because, like I said, Missouri keeps losing. Um, the SEC tournament, who cares? It doesn't care. Alabama has been waiting for a team like this for so long. And we are finally primed with a healthy team to make a serious dent in the NCAA tournament. And the last thing that I or anybody else who seriously cares about basketball wants to see is Herb go down in a meaningless game. We know how much that guy means to this team. We know how great of a defender he is. And the guy can clearly guess, score the ball when he's healthy. So we need that. We need a healthy team to go where we think that this team can go. So he's not going to sit like we said a thousand times, but I'd be freaking heated if if, if that happens. I mean, well, I guess we can't compare it to a two or pro throw or you know any of these other crazy situations like that where a guy doesn't necessarily need to play, but due to protocol or he's just going to go for one more series and disaster happens. So. You know, I, I'd hate to see that, but hopefully we won't have to encounter that with Alabama basketball. Yeah, absolutely. You know, best case scenario, Oates just keeps doing what he's doing and Herb stays healthy. I mean, that would be tremendous, you know, because I'd, I'd take Herb now. I mean, of course, I'd, I'd rather go into an NCAA tournament with him as close to 100% as he can be. Um, but, of course, you know, if he's playing – at 70, 80%, you know, I'd rather have him at 70, 80% than not have him at all. Um, so, yeah, best case scenario right now, because it doesn't look like Nate Oates is going, especially after the game that he had Saturday, it doesn't look like Nate Oates is going to sit him down. Because, um, you know, her, her he, he proved a point. But, uh, yeah, you definitely want your the, you want your healthiest team competing in those two tournaments in March. But, uh, Lester, I want to stay with you. Um, this article by Jason Jordan in Sports Illustrated, the, the headline is, if you think the live by the three, die by the three phrase applies to number eight Alabama, you haven't been paying attention. And this is an article, you know, it, it mostly talks about the the number one defensive efficiency that Alabama has. I think Loyola Marymount surpassed them and took over the top. I think Alabama's still number two. Um, and uh, and yes, I mean the defense, the defensive improvement that's happened from year one to year two under NATO is, is tremendous. And uh, Nate Oates said in the interview, you know, I'm going to give you freedom on offense, but you better play your ass off on the defensive end of the floor. And um, and that's that's clearly something that they've been working on is giving effort and uh and um and, and it's there. The rebounding's been a lot better. The effort on defense and the points per possession is one of the fewest in the country. Um, Lester, I'm just going to ask you straight up: Do you think this article is is fair? Do you, do you think it's true, or do you, do you kind of see some gray area in there about you know Alabama basically saying that they don't have to rely on the three ball in order to win games? Um, I'm going to lean gray area to true. Um, I think it is true. Um, defense is a part of basketball and is a huge part of it. Um, you can watch the 
New Jersey Nets any given night with KD, Kyrie, and Harden, and they will score 150 points a game. But guess what? I saw them lose to the Cleveland Cavaliers last week. The score was like 140-something to 130-something, an insane amount of points, and they lost with three Hall of Famers on their team because nobody plays defense. Nobody. Look, there's more than just basketball than just shooting three-pointers. You got layups, mid-range jumpers, and this team, they can win that way. We've seen this season when the shots, they weren't falling. They were not fought. Look, Alabama has not been shooting the ball lights out for the 18, 19, 20 games they've played thus far this year. They have not. And yet, they have an excellent record with four or five losses. They This team has found a way when the three hasn't been falling. I like the article. Um, I think, you know, maybe the casual fans or whatever, they want to see all the points scored and that's great and all, but defense is a key to this team. I mean, we saw it last year. This team, they were scoring, they were scoring a good bit of points. They were scoring a lot of points, and they were still losing because their defense sucked. And Oates has, kudos to him, that guy has changed that this year. And um, I liked the article. I thought it was, it was, it was a good read. He had some um, good numbers in there, and uh, I agree with him. I do. Evan, uh, you said that you kind of glanced at the article, but you can – Go ahead and tell the gist of it just by the title of it. Tell me, tell me do you, if you agree with it or not. Do you think that Alabama um, is a live by the three, die by the three type team, or, or do you think is is something deeper than that? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a lot deeper than that. I would yeah, first. My first question would be, what do you? What's your definition of live when it comes to basketball in a basketball season? I think that you know we've. What we've seen Alabama live by the three, and they did it in the first half of the SEC schedule. We saw them in the third quarter of the SEC schedule die as a team, lose games because they weren't able to shoot the ball against teams that they should have beaten Oklahoma and, and Missouri. Um, so I think it depends on what your definition of live. I, I see his point that you know Alabama's kind of a, an anomaly in basketball now college basketball at least they're a team that can not only shoot you out of the gym but they do lock you down on defense and that's something that you don't you don't see very much anymore um and we didn't see it last year for alabama this year obviously completely different but my i guess my take on the article is this team can survive without the three ball but in order for them to prosper and when, when you get into round of 32 16 elite eight got to be able to hit shots man you're going to be playing teams that are able to dissect your defense and and teams that are able to defend you and slow down your pace and 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 make it to where you've got to get into a half court offense which we've seen Alabama struggle in a little bit and at that point I don't know that they will necessarily die by the three but they won't continue to live without it if, if that makes sense yeah um here here I go on it because honestly I'll be honest with y'all. I, I think it's a total crock. Uh, I do. And and to me, yes, defense is important. Like, let, let me go ahead and say that first. What Alabama's doing on defense can win them a championship, whether that's SEC tournament or you know a national championship. If you want to go that far, um, I think that Alabama's defense is good enough. I mean, obviously they're they're, they're number two in the country in, in efficiency, um, but with the possessions that they get and the pace that they play at, you know, if you're not hitting your shots, and I know it takes both sides of the floor, I understand that. But to me, Alabama is going to live and die by the three offensively. And the reason I say that is because in this article, it, it says that they're leading the SEC right now in three-pointers attempted per game. They attempt 33 pointers on average per game. Okay? Well, I think I texted the Gump Runners group message today, Lester, and I told y'all, I said, okay, what if Bama's playing Baylor or Gonzaga in a tournament, and you attempt 33s and you hit six of them? Are you going to win the game? Hell no. You're, you're not going to win that basketball game. You're not going to shoot six or eight out of 30 and win the basketball game. No. Now, if you hit 13 of them, I mean, that's a 20-point swing. You see what I'm saying? And so – yeah, you are living and dying by the three. And the problem is people hear that and they think it's a bad thing. 
And I personally don't think it is because when you look at this team, and we talked about this last week with Landon Lester, um, you've got guys whose identity is shooting the basketball. That's their specialty. You got Jaden Shackelford, not a slasher. He cannot get to the rim. He has no elevation. He has no separation. He goes up there, ducks a shoulder into a guy, and throws a wild hook shot up and prays to God he gets fouled. Okay? John Petty, when he goes in there, he dribbles the ball high. He'll dribble it off his knee, off the defender's knee. Not every time, but it happens a lot. Javon Quinterly, he is a walking turnover when he tries to drive the ball into the paint. So, You've got guys, you've got four or five guys. Josh Primo still hasn't developed that slashing ability yet. The only one that has it right now is Herb Jones. And that's why I think that him shooting the outside shot and converting against Georgia really opened up the lane for him and opened it up for, it opened up the whole court for the rest of the team. Because once Herb passes, he's passing to a guy whose identity is shooting the three point shot. Okay? So, Jaden Shackelford, John Petty, Josh Primo, even Javon Quinterly, they are shoot-first players. So, I mean, Lester Maros takes me all against South Carolina. I mean, we kept going in there missing layups, missing layups, getting getting it swatted, turnover. And I'm like, just shoot the three. I'd rather you shoot a contested three-point shot with a guy in your face rather than go in the lane and turn it over or get it swatted off the glass. And that's because that's what you were recruited to do. Jaden Shackford was not recruited to Alabama to go put his shoulder in the folks and throw up wild hook shots. John Petty wasn't recruited to Alabama to, to be a slasher, to drive in the paint seven, eight, nine, ten times a game. These guys were recruited to shoot the ball. Herb was recruited to slash the ball down the paint and be a lockdown defender. He knows his identity. Now, he has improved his three-point shot, and that's just another asset to his game now. But, yes. Alabama does live and die by the three, whether you like it or not. And that's not a bad thing because you have the identity of your player, of most of your players and most of your guards, the guys who handle the ball, are three-point shooters. And it's it's prevalent. Whenever Herb can get into the lane, whenever guys can get to the lane and do the drive and dish, drive and dish game like Oates wants to do, that's where your offense is going to be at its highest peak because you have guys that are good three-point shooters shooting the ball. And I mean, it says it says right here in this article, in Alabama's five losses this season, the Tide shot twenty seven percent from deep. Well, that tells me all I need to know right there. If you don't if you don't shoot it well, and obviously you're going to shoot it a lot because you're number one in the SEC and three pointers attempted. So if you don't shoot it well, then you're going to die by the three. You can play the best defense in the world, and it's not going to matter. Because, you know, I mean, it's basketball. Other teams are going to score, and they're going to get a lot of possessions because you pay, you play a fast-paced type game. And so other teams are going to get a lot of possessions. So even if they shoot 45% from the field, if you're not hitting your three-point shot, which it says right here, the stats show that you are going to shoot the three more than anybody else in the SEC. If you don't hit them, you're dead. You are dead by the three-point shot. And that's the way when – I, when I read this article, that was the first thing I thought of, and – you know, I, te- I texted John Lester, and I was like, I mean, that, I, just, I didn't really get heated, but I was like, man, that just doesn't make a lot of sense. And that's because so many people out there think that the phrase live by the three, die by the three is negative, and I don't think it is. I think when you have a team – now, if Alabama had a team of a bunch of slashers, like say you had, you know, I mean, I don't know, a bunch of guys like Retton Obasahan. You know, Retton was a good three-point shooter. He was around – you know, 35% probably for his career. I mean, nothing spectacular, but he was, I mean, he was, let's say, an average to slightly above average three-point shooter. If you had a bunch of players like that and they're jacking up a bunch of threes, then, yeah, I can see where you might want to change it up. But when you've got guys who's who were recruited to the school to shoot the three-point shot, I don't think that's a negative thing. That's a great point. That's a great point. Um, and tell me what you think about that. I mean, like, if you, if you want to disagree with me, go ahead. I mean, that's fine. I, I asked y'all, you know, to find find a point and argue it. I mean, that's that's fine with me. It's just, but the way I look at it is, is with these guys, you know, constantly going in the lane and turning the ball over. And I mean, you know, Nate Oates, he goes over the uh, the the percentages at the rim. 
so to speak. You know, he's like, yeah, you know, we were 10 for 22 against Missouri or whatever at the rim. I'm thinking, golly, I mean, we can shoot threes better than that. I mean, you know, so I just, I don't know. I, I'm real big on identity and knowing your role as a player and knowing what you do best. And I know there's at least four guys on that team that are three-point shooters that can shoot the three-point shot better than anything else they can do with the basketball. That's just the way I look at it. Right, right. I don't I don't think that you're wrong necessarily, but if the threes aren't falling, this team has found ways to win a basketball game. They've found ways. They, they've had to. They've had to. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, I mean, let, let's be honest. The SEC is not terribly strong this year. Arkansas is hot right now. Tennessee, right. nobody knows what the hell is happening then when the offensive end of the floor. Kentucky sucks. Auburn sucks. You know, your, your teams that have kind of – Ran the league, so to speak. You know, Kentucky the last 100 years. But, uh, you know, Auburn's a team that went to the Final Four just two or three years ago. Um, they were second in the SEC last year before COVID hit. And, you know, all of a sudden they're, they're terrible. And, uh, and so, I mean, I'm not saying the SEC is a bad conference, but it's nothing like the Big Ten or the Big 12, you know what I'm saying, who might have six or seven teams in the tournament. Um, and so, yeah, Alabama has found ways to win against Mississippi State and Kentucky and South Carolina, you know, whenever you run up in the tournament, you know, especially against those little teams, man, because a lot of those little teams have to win their conference to get in. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, you face one of those guys who, who are white hot and they just, they're just not missing, you know, you could run into a shit storm like Nick Saban said before. Yeah, we've seen that with uh, what George Mason. Oh, that was probably when we were kids. George Mason, uh, Florida Gulf Coast, um, some of Oates' team at Buffalo. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you're right about that. <laughs> it seems like every year there's that one team that just seemingly can't. Nobody can put out there. They don't fire for right. a month. Yeah, VCU under Anthony Grant. <laughs> yeah, VCU, jeez. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh, I mean, Evan. You know, after my little rant there, and, and I might have gotten a little long winded, but uh. I mean, what what do you think? Do you, do you think I have some good points, or do you, I'm just completely bogus? Um, I mean, just give me some more insight on this article and what you think about the team and their identity as a whole. Now, I, I think you have some good points. I, I think it, you know, it just depends on how you look at the team. And no, I, I think you're 100. percent And I, you know, that's kind of what I said when I first touched on it. If this team wants to have a chance to make a run, the three ball is going to take them there. I, I don't think there's any question about that. I think where I would kind of disagree with you, you know, you talk about Alabama, Mississippi. You would rather guys take contested threes than, than go up and, and put up a bad. I see your point, but in my rebuttal to that is, you know, you, you've got to continue to develop ways to score at the rim. And I think Alabama's done a good job of that because there's going to come a time where when you get hot from deep, and Alabama loves running the five out, and it has worked so well. When you start getting hot from deep, teams are going to spread the floor, and they're going to do everything they can to keep you from shooting threes. And that's what opens up the lane. And so I think you have to continue to find – and I think Alabama has gotten better there. Yeah. I think, I think during this stretch with her being banged up, which we kind of talked about this a few weeks ago, I thought it was good for the team to have to go through this for the long term. But Alabama's gotten better of, of running plays – and screening for guys and getting guys open at the rim. I see your point kind of about, you know, guys going up and putting up BS at the rim. I think you're being a little harsh on Shaq. I'm, I'm, I'm a big Shaq guy. I think Shaq is, <laughs> is pretty good at finishing at the rim, quite frankly. I, I see your point. I know there's times where the ball gets crazy, and we do turn it a lot. We do turn it over a lot. We have a lot, a lot of possessions in games because we rebound the ball well. So, you know, we're going to – kind of average probably more turnovers than the average team just because we're pushing the ball a lot and that's kind of the way it flows but I agree with your point um but I think I think that I think you have to recognize that Alabama does to a degree live by the three while also understanding that you've got to continue to develop the other parts of the game in order to get the team better yeah you you definitely do and I mean and, and like I said I'm not saying that Alabama should up their three-point attempts and shoot 40-50 a game because I don't think that would be good at all. But um, I just think that there's there's times, there's plays where, you know, 
South Carolina was really bad because I, mean, I, I remember texting Lester in the Gump Runners message, and I was just I, – I, I was livid because it seems like John Petty had, you know, two or three, you know, kickouts in a row where he could have just pulled it. And John Petty, he, he elevates well on his jump shot. He shoots from the top of his head. I've seen him just drain it with people draped all over him. And, uh, and you know, he would try to pump fake. The guy wouldn't bite, and then he'd try to – He'd try to drive and he'd try to pass out and he'd turn it over. He'd, you know, try to put it on the floor and he'd turn it over or he'd miss a little runner or whatever. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying. But I just think there's a time and place. And I just think that, you know, if the, if, if Alabama's running their five out and they are hot from deep and, uh, and they're trying to take away the three point shot, that's when I think you go to Herb Jones because I think when Herb is on his game, there's nobody that can stop him from getting to the rack. And then that's, that's what we just saw against Georgia, and that's what we've been talking about. I think that happened. They, they were they were guarding the perimeter tight because Herbert had, had knocked down a couple of threes, and then that opened up everything in the middle. And you got a guy at that dunker spot or whatever, and this is it's just a driving dish game, and then it makes it really easy. Um, and so yeah, that, that's the way I look at that. I just think that there's a time and place to drive, and you got to know as a player, you know what's you know, Nate, Nate Oates is big on, on percentages and averages and all that stuff, shot, you know, charting everything, shot charts, and, and I'm just like, you know, Petty's really my biggest one. I mean, Shaq really has to be open in order to – he really doesn't shoot a lot – or he doesn't make a lot of contested threes. But um, with uh, Primo's quick release and John Petty just not giving damn whether the defender's there or not, I just – I would like to see them pull it more from deep rather than driving it in and, and trying to trying to score in the paint. God. Chase, yep. Man, Chase. Oh, go, ahead, go ahead. Okay, Yeah, I just wanted to add this, and I meant to say it earlier, but I don't know if – and this feeds your point 100%, especially coming off of talking about John Petty, but ESPN ran a, a, a graphic during the game on Saturday. Alabama in their five losses, John Petty's averaging 9.7 a game, and in the 16 wins, he's averaging 14.8. So I mean that's the guy who really sets the tempo for yeah. you. I mean he's he's the guy. He's the three point shooter on the team. And so that graphic right there, I think, feeds your point um, perfectly. Yeah, and it's, I mean it's not just him. You know, I mean he he is a big part of. It. He's a senior, he's a leader. Herb's the same way. You you got to get good production from Herb. We talked about that with as much as the offense runs through him. I mean, basically we we're running. A, he's running the point forward, um, and probably will for the rest of the season. And um, and so, yeah, I mean, if he can get to the rack, then I think it just opens up everything else because, you know, you can't just give up layup after layup. You're going to have to help eventually. And, you know, like we talked about earlier, the good thing is whenever you come off and help, as long as you don't drive to the same side as Alex Reese or James Rojas, you know, because they're going to miss it. But the other three, they got a pretty damn good chance of it going in from deep. And, uh, and that's what you really want to see is a good open look from three. And uh, no, then of course you know when Bruner comes back, he's another one. You know he replaces Reese and Rojas, and uh, and, and and he's a guy that can knock it down as well. I think that's huge. Yeah, great points, guys. Um, like like both of you have alluded to, stop pump faking, stop looking to dribble and drive. If that look, if that shot is open, dear God. Please pull up. You're halfway there. You're halfway there. If you're going to pump fake it, keep going. What difference does it make? Shoot it. This is a three-point shooting team. You are good at it. You're playing for Alabama. You're playing for the best team in SC for a reason. Stop pump faking the ball. And also, nothing. Primo has got to quit going ghost. I was really glad to see him get a bunch of shots up, have a good game. Because for the past two or three weeks, that kid has just sunk back into – I don't know. Being a freshman, he needs to go unconscious like he's like we've seen him go before um, in a couple games earlier in the season. The release, the release on that kid is wild. I mean, he puts it right at his chin and it just flies off his hand. And he's so accurate on, on his shot. I mean, whenever he misses, it's usually a back iron or a front iron. He rarely misses left to right. And uh, and when you, when you miss like that, that means you're on, you know. Uh, and yeah, he gets it out really fast, and yeah, I agree with him. He, he's definitely got to step up here in the last, the last third of the season or whatever. But um, speaking of a uh, a three point shooting team, let, let's let's 
travel back in time to a team that was not a three-point shooting team, the Anthony Grant era. And Evan had a little fun idea. He texted me today and asked if we could do this, and I said absolutely. He wants to. He wants each of us, and uh, we're going to start with Evan. See, it was it was, uh, it was his idea. We're going to pick one player from the Anthony Grant era that you would put on this roster here in 2021. Evan, the floor is yours, my man. Go ahead. Yeah, Chase, I was thinking about this on Saturday as I was watching this put up 115 and, you know, thinking about how I've never seen that before ever. And I just keep expecting this team to revert back to the Alabama basketball that I know and, and started thinking about Avery Johnson and how thankful I, or uh, excuse me, Anthony Grant and how thankful I was that he's not there anymore. And, um, you know, that question kind of hit me and, you know, we talked about it earlier. With this team fully healthy, I think that the best addition we could have from the, from the um, Anthony Grant era would be Trevor Relfi. I think that the one area of this team that we are just really lacking um, as far as maybe production and depth is that point guard. And Trevor Relford's, well, I was going to say the best point guard I've seen at Alabama, but then you've got that guy that came in a couple of years ago. But um, for Anthony Grant, he was the best point guard, and he's one of the best players that, that uh, Grant had. And You know, Alabama, obviously Herb Jones has been the main guy at point. And he's been running that point forward role, but he's not a true point guard. And other than him, the only other guy that's really a true point guard is Javon Quinterly. We've got a lot of two guards on this team, and they're able to play really well, but they're not able to – it's hard to kind of move the offense through them. And we've seen when Herb Jones hasn't been in the game, you know, how, how difficult it has been at times for Alabama to find offense. And I think if you add a guy like Trevor Relford, he could really be that missing piece that could come in, he could run the ball through him, he can score, he can get it to the rack, he can drive and dish. And um, I think I think that would be the guy that I would pick. Do you uh do you slide him the starting rotation or do you do you have him coming off? Man, that's a good question because then you've got to bench somebody that's in that starting rotation. Dude, I I, I would run Herb at the five and bench Reese for real. Oh, at this point right now, absolutely. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, you're talking about with a, with a healthy team. Yeah, I guess if you're going to start him, I guess you'd have to kick Shaq, right? Uh, it, it would for me. It would either be Shaq or Primo, and, and it depends on. You know, are we getting the primo that we saw Saturday? Or are we getting the primo that we saw the three games before it? Right. Yeah. Jack, Jack has been a consistent guy that's played. He, you know, he's going to get you double digits every night. He's, he may do some dumb things in the game, but then primo is a guy that comes in and hell, he may score twenty five, or he may not shoot the ball. Right. So I think it depends on, but it, it would definitely have to be one of those two guys. You got to have Petty, Herb, Pirelli, Bruner. Yep. And then one of one of the other two guys. Okay. Lester, one player from the Anthony Grant era that you would join, that you would have joined this roster in 2021. Would they? Would they? Let's let's just let's keep the same uh, the same scenario that Evan laid out. So with a fully healthy team, meaning Gary's back, Bruner's back, and Herb is healthy, who do you put on this roster? I am going to go with Jamichael Green. Um, the point y'all were making at the end there, whether who you would sit, actually kind of helps me make my point. Um, I wouldn't sit anybody. I just think that with a healthy team, when Bruner has to come out of the game, let's say such a drop off in talent from Bruner to Reese, who's the primary guest starter or backup when he comes back now. I think Jamichael Green standing at six foot eight, he has a seven foot two wingspan. So don't let the lack of height for a traditional center fool you. The guy can, um, clearly defend the five. And um, looking at his stats, he's a career 38% shooter in the NBA. So if you drop that guy on this team when he was in college, there's nothing saying that he can't develop a shot just like um, Bruner has and be a lethal three-point threat from the five. And, hey, when Bruner's in the game, when you need to go with a bigger lineup, that guy can slide over to the four. You can have Bruner and – um, Jamaica Green on the floor at the same time, and both those guys can get up and run. I, I just think that would be a really good addition for this team, especially, especially with Bruner hurt. But if he wasn't hurt and he was fully healthy, I still think Jamaica Green would be a great 
second option at the five for this team or at the four. Yeah, I was gonna make the <clears throat> I was gonna make that same point about the shot. Uh, you know, the development of the shot. It seems like they never really worked on big shooting the basketball under Anthony Grant. And uh and yeah, you know, Jamichael had that short corner shot that he just seemed like he was ninety percent with that thing. Every time he stepped out, you know, fifteen to sixteen feet, he, he was just burying it from the from the corner over there. So yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that with his form and everything, Anthony Grant, I mean, if he can get Herb Jones making shots I mean, no disrespect to her, but the guy just has never been a good shooter, uh, especially from outside. And um, and now, like I mean, he's fifty percent on the year. So uh, yeah, there's no doubt that J. Mike would have uh, would have been able to <clears throat> to develop a shot. So you got J. Mike coming off the bench. So we got J. Michael, Trevor Illiford. I'm gonna go just from a depth perspective, like Lester did. This guy's not gonna start on this team, but he's gonna come in and give big minutes off the bench, whether it's at the two or three spot, um, mine's going to be Levi Randolph, and um, kind of the same situation. He was a he was more of a mid range guy when he was in college. I think he could have developed into a, a really good long range shooter. Um, he had a, a dribble dribble pull up that was lethal from mid range, and uh, I'm sure Nate Oates would hate that. But uh, <clears throat> he was a guy that he, he could get to the rack, and he played really good defense too. So I think he would fit in well on the defensive end of the floor. Spelling, uh, spelling Herb or Primo or Shaq or Petty, whoever's in that two, two guard, you know, or a small forward slot. Um, I, th- I think Levi would, uh, be a pretty good fit off the bench. But, uh, yeah, you know, a lot of people thought that that, that would be impossible to find an Anthony Grant player that could play on this team, um, because of the production that we've seen from him. But, uh, yeah, like Lester said, man, you know, especially at the five slot, there, there's a big drop off once Jordan Bruner comes out of the game. Uh, you got you got Alex Reese, James Rojas, and Jawan Gary. Gary's shown flashes, but uh, we'll see how he comes back. But uh, um, I, I do I do have to ask Lester and yeah, you know if, if I heard you correctly, I think you said that Jamichael Green would sit the pine while Bruner was on the floor. Do you really think that Jamichael Green wouldn't start over Jordan Bruner? Six A to be tough. Hey. Five. And this, this Nato's offense, how good can he shoot the ball? How good can he run up and down the floor? Um, my point is, he. My point is, it's not a slight against Bruner. It's a complete trashing of Alex Reese and whoever else is starting at the five. I just think that Michael Green is just so much better than whoever is behind Bruner that he'd be 100% worth it having him in that slot. And you know, Evan, you know, we really didn't get a full taste of Bruner quite yet. I mean, whenever he got hurt against Kentucky, you know, he was playing really well. He played really well in the Auburn win on the road. And it seems like he was kind of getting into his rhythm, especially from deep. He was shooting the ball really well. He didn't shoot it great early in the season in the non-conference schedule, but it seemed like he was getting his rhythm and he was playing his best basketball in the last two games before he got hurt. So, there might be a different side of Bruner that we haven't seen. I mean, yeah, as good as Jamaica was, I think. I mean, I'm not saying that Bruner should play would play 30 minutes to Jamaica's 10, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they they might just split time 2020. Yeah, I agree with what Lester's saying. I, Bruner's definitely more prototypical for NATO's offense because he's able to stretch the floor, and, and Jamaica Green's really not that guy. I guess I guess what you know draws me into Jamaica Green is. I just I've seen this team so many times, or I guess now in the last couple of weeks more than ever, and and I'm just I can think in my brain, man, if we could have a guy that we could throw it to in the paint that could bang and get buckets, that would just take this team to the next level. And um, I think Bruner, he's he's more of a soft kind of player, but I, I mean I, I agree with your point, Lester. You you might be spot on. Bruner's more of a guy that. You, get, you can get it to him in the paint, and he can score it, but he, he can really distribute from the paint, and he can also stretch the floor, and that, that seems to be what NATO is going for than anything. Right, right. And, I hey, I got an honorable mention here, you guys, um, Tony Mitchell. I think Tony Mitchell can be kind of like Levi. I just – I think this, this team is missing a big slasher. Like, I, you don't trust Petty taking it to the paint off the dribble because he's going to turn it over. Her, he's probably going to turn it over, but I think Tony Mitchell would go up, go strong, and would dunk on anybody. 
and I would love to see a guy like that on this team. Long, athletic, um, Levi kind of fits that mold a little bit, but Tony Mitchell will be hella fun to watch running up and down the floor in this offense. So no, uh, no Carl Engstrom on your list, Lester? No Carl Engstrom, no Musa Gay. He just uh, missed it. They just missed the cut. Yeah, yeah. Um, no Jimmy really, I almost went. I almost went with Ben Edlin. Oh God! Oh. Hunter Johnson's buddy. The were probably the worst. Probably the worst point guard in Alabama basketball history. I, I, whoever you can come up with, I would put Ben Eblen up. I mean, I've never seen somebody look like they were breaking their wrist whenever they shot the ball from the outside. And he played in a t-shirt up under his jersey. That pissed me off just looking at him. Yeah, all right. Well, I ain't gonna get on a rant. Rant number two coming. <laughs> Man, I hated Ben Eblen, dude. <laughs> But uh, hey, I would say to Lester, man, I think I think we've got a Tony Mitchell and Darius Miles based off that game Saturday. Bro, yes, that guy is fearless. Clearly, clearly, get it. Who is that? I'm so Darius Miles, and I'm so oh, glad yeah. that he had a good game uh, this past week. Because who's the game for Georgia when they completely screwed up those last two possessions at the end of the game? And I thought Oates was going to come bust on the sideline. Oh, that dude named Wall. I don't. I don't know his first name. Number thirty. Number thirty. They got the big forehead. He turned over like thought, three times. Okay, I thought those miles. But either way, either way, I'm glad he'll turn it over quick. He'll, he'll turn it over quick too. Now, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Oh yeah. But yeah, um, I think, actually, I think that the guy after he dunked it on him, the guy shoved him into the ground. Miles hit his head real hard. I think that was trash right there. I think the SEC needs to look at that because I mean that was. That should have been a flagrant two, and you're out of here. I mean, that was trash. I know there was 30 seconds left in the game or whatever, but that was absolute horseshit. I thought it. I thought it kind of looked a little more egregious than it was, but because it, it, it looked terrible. But yeah, at the same it looked time, like there was separation, like yeah, momentum and and less. Because yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Upon first glance, it looked really bad, but I don't think it was as quite as bad as it as it looked. I'd have blown the whistle. You know it. Oh, oh yeah, definitely should have been a call. He got fouled yeah. the whole way. I don't, yeah. I don't know how he didn't call a foul. Yeah, yeah. and uh, <clears throat> um, so yeah, a lot of basketball talk in this episode. Um, outside of outside of the or off the hardwood outside of the Coliseum, you got softball team starting out four and zero. They beat um, Alabama State and Notre Dame and Montgomery on Friday and Saturday, and then took a double header from Louisville at home at Rose Stadium on on Sunday, and. Um, Baseball gets into action this this weekend against McNeese State Friday at three o'clock. Connor Prelip uh, on the bump, Anton Jean on Saturday, and Dylan Smith Sunday. The rotation was finalized yesterday. So, um, <clears throat> uh, Lester, I'll ask you, Evan. I don't know how much baseball he's going to watch. He's a big basketball guy. I know he's going to be, you know, watching the rest of the season before he gets into anything else. But, uh, Lester, tell me, tell me any expectations you have for this baseball team. Well, after they started out on fire. Um, well, they were what sixteen, seventeen, and one to start the season last year. Yep, sixteen and one. Um, from what we've seen <laughs> over the past, I guess five, six, seven, eight, nine years of Alabama baseball, I think this seems to be really, really fun to watch. But at the same time, you kind of have to temper expectations because the the SEC has half of the t- has five of the top ten teams in the. In, Five of the top ten teams in the country, or something like that, and some some absurd twelve out of fourteen in the top twenty five. So, I mean, the SEC is going to be tough sledding this year. But when you got your A's kind of prelip on the on the mound, who I've seen projections of that guy can be pick one round in round one um, in the MLB draft when he's eligible. Um, you're always going to have a chance on the mound with that guy as your Friday night guy, but. Um, it's going to be tough in SC this year, but I believe Bullhand is going to be seen better. And they may come up and surprise some folks. So we'll just have to see. It should be interesting, though. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think it's pretty crazy. This is one of the most stacked conferences in the history of really any sport. Um, Alabama projected to finish dead last in the SEC West, seventh in the SEC West, yet they're ranked 25th in the country. I think that's pretty freaking crazy. How uh, just how loaded the the whole SEC is, especially that Western division. I mean, it's just it's crazy how good Ole Miss and Texas A and M, Auburn. I mean, they're just they're they're so loaded. Mississippi State's really good, um, and so yeah, <clears throat> pretty pretty crazy to think that Alabama's 
projected to finish dead last in their division, yet they're ranked 25th over on the country. But, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll definitely get into some more baseball talk next week along with more basketball talk. Evan, we appreciate you being on again with us. Probably not going to be your last time as a guest on this podcast during basketball season. Um, but, uh, Lester, appreciate you hopping on as always. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, special guest Evan Wright. We'll talk to you all next week. We're out.